This show was sponsored by BetterHelp. Life comes with a lot of decisions, and sometimes it's hard to know which path is right. Therapy gives you a place to map out your options, so you can trust your choices and get excited about the future. Visit betterhelp.com super to give it a try. What if Sirius Black had actually taken Harry the night James and Lily died. Hey brother, so often when we do these what if videos, it seems like it comes down to some decision that Sirius makes either after he gets out of Azkaban or on the night the Potters were murdered. And today is a big one and maybe one of the most highly requested what ifs we've ever gotten. What if Sirius had just arrived first and taken Harry. After all, as his godfather, this is quite literally his duty. Duty. <laughs> I mean, if Harry never ends up at the Dursleys, that feels like it makes a world of difference to the rest of the story. Not just because of how Harry would be raised, but also because of what wouldn't happen the next day. Because if Sirius takes Harry, then he doesn't go track down Peter, meaning he doesn't get sent to Azkaban for, um, how long was it? 12 years of it! He'd also be able to just tell everyone the truth about Peter, which, come to think of it, why doesn't he do that anyway? Then there's Lupin, who normally believes that Sirius was the traitor the entire time, but this time he'd be able to remain friends with him. And with Sirius being, you know, super rich and someone who values friendship over almost anything else at all, this seems like it's a great turn of events for Lupin. And yes, I hear all of you shippers down in the comments being like, oh, is this gonna be a wolf star video? That's wolf for werewolf and star because Sirius is star, you get it. But if you're wondering, do I think Sirius and Lupin would go on to raise Harry together? Well, I guess we'll find out, but let's face it. You know in your heart that Starbucks is the true maraudership. Starbucks, because again, Sirius is a star and Buck is another word for stag and James could you get it. Anyway, what if Sirius had taken Harry the night the Potters died? And what I find so interesting about this question is that when you think about it, it's what should have happened. Sirius is Harry's godfather. James and Lily named Sirius Harry's godfather. Their intention, if they both died, was for Sirius to raise Harry. Those were their actual wishes, wishes Dumbledore just outright ignores. Which personally, I feel like doesn't get enough attention. Cause heck, Sirius is even there at the wreckage of the house on the night of the murder. He even asks Hagrid to give Harry to him. And then he says, give Harry to me, Hagrid. I'm his godfather, I'll look after him. But I had me orders from Dumbledore and I told Black, no, Dumbledore said Harry was to go with his aunt and uncles. Oh, well, if Dumbledore says it. Now, to be fair to Dumbledore in this situation, he is under the impression that Sirius was the Potter's secret keeper. So from his point of view, this actually is Sirius's fault. And he probably thinks that he needs to do everything in his power to make sure that Sirius doesn't become Harry's guardian. Imagine how shocked Dumbledore must have been when Hagrid showed up on Sirius's motorbike. Ironically, if Sirius had taken him, then the truth about Peter would have come out just way sooner. But as it stands, Sirius seems to take Hagrid's words in that moment as all the permission he needs to go hunt Peter down. 
Now, interestingly, had Sirius successfully like brought Peter to justice the next day, I am positive he would have proceeded to try and get Harry back from the Dursleys. And rightfully so, I might add, although I would have just loved to see how Dumbledore dealt with that situation. Okay, fine, but he still has to come back once a year. Because the one big thing Harry does have going for him while he stays at the Dursleys is that Dumbledore is able to put the Bond of Blood charm on him. And buckle up, because the Bond of Blood charm is wacky. It is a crazy niche spell that can only be activated if someone is presently the beneficiary of the sacrificial love charm. Which, of course, on that night, Harry is, because that's how Lily protected him from Voldemort. But even if you are a survivor like Harry, then a third party still has to be there, in this case, Dumbledore, to cast the spell on you. And then the spell isn't sealed until a blood relative of the person who sacrificed themselves accepts you into their care. In this case, Petunia. Assuming all that happens, at that point, you are then protected specifically from the person who originally tried to attack you, that's Voldemort, as long as you are inside of the house of the person who sealed the charm. Until you are 17 or permanently move out. And the 17 part is like so baffling to me. Like how does the spell know what the wizarding community considers adulthood? Or is the spell so old that the reason wizards consider 17 adulthood this spell. But if Harry is the only one to ever receive the benefits of being saved by the sacrificial love charm, then how does anyone even know about the Bond of Blood charm? And then even on the night of, Dumbledore tells McGonagall they may not ever know how Harry survived. So is he just like doing this on a complete whim and then also getting very lucky? <sighs> Sorry, I didn't, didn't mean for this tangent to go on so long. It's just that the spell is truly bonkers and yet also incredibly vital to the story, so. Hey, and welcome to our brand new set where Ben and I are shooting our brand new podcast, Through the Gryffindor, a book club style discussion, chapter by chapter read through of every chapter of Harry Potter. Yeah, if you would like to basically get inside our minds as, as people who I'm sure like yourselves have read through these books just on so many different occasions, we're just gonna go through each individual, you know, kind of like big new detail, piece of foreshadowing or, or like something that sets up one of the theories that we talk about here on the Super Carlin Brothers channel, it is just a, it is a very minuscule dissection of all the specific details of the story. Yeah, it has been super fun. I feel like it's already generated a bunch of new ideas for this channel. It comes out every Sunday, wherever pods are cast. And if you're watching this video on the day it comes out, tomorrow we'll be uploading a big super cut of chapters four through six, so you can just get caught up real quick. Absolutely. It's been so much fun. We absolutely invite you through the Gryffindor. The point is, if Sirius takes Harry, then there is no Bond of Blood spell that can be activated. And thus, Harry is slightly more vulnerable for the next 16 years, which honestly never even seemed like it was a problem when he was with the Dursleys. But who knows, maybe with Sirius, it will be. Now again, the obvious big thing that doesn't happen though if Sirius takes Harry is that he doesn't go after Peter, at least not the very next day. And at this point, there is like a 1000% chance that Dumbledore is gonna show up to 
talk to Sirius about Harry because remember Dumbledore still knows about the prophecy and how important Harry is. But when he does that then Sirius can just tell Dumbledore the truth about Peter and switching secret keepers and the fact that Peter can turn into a rat. Look here's my proof I can turn into a dog. We used to do this thing at school. Sorry about that but you know Lupin really loved it and he's a werewolf. You get it. And at that point I'm sure Sirius just gets properly registered at an Animagus because like who cares? The bigger deal is that we catch Peter. The issue will no doubt be that identifying a single rat is going to be almost impossible, especially since Peter doesn't really have any identifying characteristics, except that his human form already looks like a rat. So, so like if you if you see a rat that look, just looks like extra extra like a rat that guy. But like even his finger will still be intact because he won't have to fake his death because he won't have confronted Sirius. Or Sirius confronted him, you get it. Either way, the entire wizarding world, ex-Death Eaters and good guys alike, will all be on the lookout for Peter because they either blame him for the downfall of Voldemort or for the death of Lily and James. And really, they're all right. Somehow, Peter is even less popular in this scenario. I think that means we can rule out either Percy or Ron ever having scabbers as a pet this go-round, which is really probably all for the better. But the other person who is almost immediately affected by all of this is Lupin, who normally loses Sirius, James, and Peter in the same night, but this time he'll only lose James and Peter, he said, as if that's like much better. No, it's obviously still quite a big blow, but I think it makes Sirius and Lupin closer than ever, especially since I am positive Sirius is going to be way over his head raising a baby by himself. So rather than his usual haggard existence as a werewolf who can't find work, Lupin now has a best friend and a child to help raise with at least some access to the Black family resources. Man, it really does kind of sound like they're married, doesn't it? Remus, wake up! It's your turn to go check on the baby! Honestly, don't hate it, but we're gonna leave that one to the fanfic writers. Whereas over here in my extremely real non-fiction discovery of what would happen in this world of wizards, magic, dark lords, rat people, and werewolves, uh, I don't think it's romantic. The other person I think heavily affected by this change is surprisingly Neville. Unfortunately, I don't see any reason why Bellatrix wouldn't still like attack his parents, which as ever is terrible and leaves Neville as an only child to be raised by his grandmother. The difference is that Harry is around and in the wizarding world this time, and both of their parents would have all been in the Order of the Phoenix and fellow Gryffindors. Plus both the Longbottoms and the Blacks would exist in that like pure blood wizarding space. So I think it would just make sense to get the boys together. Meaning when Harry and Neville grow up and finally go to Hogwarts, they already have a friend. Yay! Likely does wonders for Neville's confidence going in, and I have to think that Harry is just way, way, way more informed when he arrives at Hogwarts. Because unlike the Dursleys, Sirius and Lupin will have told Harry everything. Maybe shy of, you know, him being the chosen one. I mean, no reason to burden a 10-year-old with that. It can easily wait until he's 11 and a man, or 17 according to the Bond of Blood. Have I explained how confusing that spell is yet? No, yeah, I did. Bond of Blood charm. Anyway, heading to Hogwarts, I think Harry is going to be very pro-Gryffindor and very anti-Slytherin ahead of time, as will Neville. Plus, two marauders will have raised Harry, so undoubtedly he'll know a lot of Hogwarts 
Hogwarts secrets ahead of time. I mean, at the very least, that the Whomping Willow is connected to the Shrieking Shack. I mean, those two features of Hogwarts are literally there for Lupin. You might think that in this scenario, Harry would be a little bit more like James and sort of like fully arrogant and stuff. And while I think he's definitely like more confident and more like magically adept, earlier on in the story, I don't think he would be like a full-on James-type bully. Because remember, Harry's parents still would have been murdered by Voldemort, and he would have grown up knowing Voldemort's beliefs and would have very good reason to oppose them. Plus, he would have been around Lupin his entire life and been exposed to the kind of prejudice people have towards people who are different from them in any way for really unfound reasons. Either way, I think Harry and Neville are quick friends with Ron, as usual. I mean, normally it's Ron who finds Harry Harry sitting by himself on the train, but I like to think maybe in this case it's reversed and Harry and Neville find a lonely Ron on the train. Ron, of course, will still always find Hermione just totally insufferable for the first few weeks of classes, meaning that he'll always be mean to her in charms class, and then she'll always go cry in the girl's bathroom, and then she'll always get attacked by the troll, and then all three of them will go to save her, and then the four of them are just best friends. So do you want to know. <laughs> Plus, again, Harry was raised by two of the Marauders, and groups of four are just cool. Cool. Oddly though, if Neville is more confident going in, then he probably doesn't get sent the remember-all by his grandmother. Which isn't like a huge deal, it just means that Harry probably won't end up making the Quidditch team his first year because he won't have the opportunity to accidentally impress McGonagall. But I imagine Harry is still pretty good on a broom because just like growing up now, there's no way Sirius didn't buy him a broom. I mean, he got him one when he was one and he's the one who buys him the firebolt. It's like his favorite thing to give Harry. But really all that just matters because it means Harry will still be capable of catching the flying key later on. Although I guess sadly it does mean that he won't be the youngest player in, um, how long was it? A century. Yes, a century, um, according to... McGonagall. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Harry. But speaking of the flying keys, how would Sirius raising Harry affect Voldemort's plans during his first year? Well, now is when we circle back to Peter, who, if you will recall, has been on the run since basically the night James and Lily died. And we know Peter's move here, seek protection from the most powerful person in the room. The problem is that all of the powerful people hate him which sucks for him, but since I don't like Peter very much, I kind of think it's awesome. Now in the main story, it takes about 10 years for the rumors to surface about where people think Voldemort is hiding in the forests of Albania. That is when one Quirinus Quirrell goes looking for him with grand ideas, maybe that he'd be the one who tracked down Voldemort or even better, that he could learn things from him. And so I think a similar story plays out on a similar timeline. The difference is that when Quirrell finally finds Voldemort, he's not alone. Wormtail is there too. Peter's doing the best he can to support the Dark Lord, but you know, there's not a ton he can do. Normally Peter is assumed dead, but in this case, Peter is like the second most wanted wizard in the world behind Voldemort. So it's not like Voldemort can just like share Peter's body like he normally does with Quirrell and live on the back of his head because people are looking for Peter. But it does mean when Quirrell finds him, Voldemort and Quirrell now have an extra helper in their mission to steal the stone. 
But does that matter? I mean, probably not for the first attempt, because like even as a rat, Peter's not gonna have a much better time in Gringotts, and besides that, Hagrid just takes the stone before they even try to steal it anyway. Speaking of the robbery, though, I like to think that Lupin and Sirius still take Harry to go get all of his wizarding stuff on the same day. He usually goes there with Hagrid because it is his birthday after all. What a better way to spend your birthday than to get all your fun wizard stuff. I know I loved it when mom took me school shopping on my birthday. <laughs> oh boy, the trapper keeper and pencil grips. Oh my God. All the cool kids have the pencil grips. And as they'll all be there on the same day, I like to think that they would still run into Hagrid who's there on, um. Who's official business? Hogwarts. Then wanting to surprise Harry with a birthday gift, Sirius and Lupin ask if Hagrid can take Harry down to his vault since he's heading to Gringotts anyway. Obviously Hagrid agrees, meaning that Harry is able to witness him emptying vault 713. Meanwhile, when Harry reunites with Sirius, it turns out that the surprise birthday gift was a brand new racing broom, a Nimbus 2000, what are the odds? Now I know first years aren't supposed to have broomsticks at school, but that's okay, Sirius has a plan. They're going to leave the Nimbus in the Shrieking Shack and then tell Harry how to get there. I mean, that sounds like the sort of shenanigans he'd be encouraging, right? And I realize I'm saying that in a fairly leading manner, but I genuinely believe Sirius would be encouraging a little rule breaking. Can you imagine how Harry sneaking off to fly his Nimbus from the Shrieking Shack would mess up Dumbledore's plans with the invisibility cloak? I'll just give this to Harry for Christmas and then go wait by the mirror. Surely he'll take a midnight stroll around the castle and just stumble into a lesson about desires of the heart. Two hours later. Twelve planets, where is that boy? Meanwhile, Harry's just outside like zipping by the window. Whee! No, I'm sure he eventually finds the mirror, but what do you think he sees? I bet it's still a lid, James. How do you think that makes serious feel? Now, having seen Hagrid empty the vault, it means that Harry and his friends are still able to extract the name of Nicholas Flamel from Hagrid once there's a report in the Daily Prophet about there being a break-in at Gringotts. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. But the good news is with Sirius in play, Harry and friends don't have to search forever to figure out who Nicholas Flamel is because in Harry's very first year, he will have access to the two-way mirrors. Oh, can I tell you how annoying it is that he didn't just unwrap that present? But once they can ask Sirius, he can quickly connect the dots about Nicholas Flamel and the Sorcerer's Stone. And since Sirius knows Peter is on the loose and is highly suspicious of him, he can immediately jump to the conclusion that Peter is is probably working with Snape, who still hates Harry, to steal the stone and bring Voldemort back. And as ever, this would prompt our four young heroes to journey down below the school to try and rescue the stone. Neville takes on the Devil's Snare, which, now that I'm saying it out loud, feels like what was supposed to happen the whole time. I mean, literally in the main story, his best subject is Herbology, and he's awake in the middle of the night when Harry and Ron and Hermione go to leave. Maybe Neville's like 10 points for standing up to his friends as like a consolation prize when Dumbledore just fully intended him to go down with them and get like 50 points. I'll just round up and give Harry 60. Either way, the rest goes the way you'd expect. Harry does the keys, Hermione does the potion, Ron does the chest. They decide that, um, who should go on? Not me. Not Hermione, you. Any chance to put that clip in anything. <laughs> and as usual, Harry ends up face to back of the face with Voldemort. And the showdown goes as you might expect. Harry is able to get the stone out of the mirror. Quirrell tries to attack Harry. Harry melts his face off, you know, standard stuff. In the end, Harry passes out, Voldemort flees, Quirrell dies. But this time, Voldemort has a second helper in the room. 
Peter in rat form, who is able to scurry out and steal the stone before Dumbledore arrives. How did Peter, one of the most wanted wizards in the world, get into Hogwarts, you might be wondering? Well, any number of ways. I mean, Peter was a marauder himself, so he'd know about all the secret passages, maybe from Honey Dukes or from the Shrieking Shack. Or heck, it wouldn't even just be that weird for Quirrell to have a rat. I mean, even in the main story, Peter canonically gets into the school with Ron every year. What it means though, is that once Peter reunites with Voldemort outside of the school, they can use the elixir of life to restore Voldemort back to his body. And the extra bad news for Harry in this situation is that it means Voldemort is able to get his body back without taking Harry's blood into himself. Meaning Lily's sacrifice won't live on in Voldemort, which is usually how Harry manages to come back to life. On the other hand though, Voldemort won't have made Nagini into a Horcrux yet, or even met her at all, so she's probably out of play altogether. That's a nice win. I mean, as the opposition, I'm much more in favor of Voldemort having a pet rat rather than a pet snake, especially when the, the pet is Peter. Uh... But if Voldemort gets his body back and like reunites the Death Eaters before Chamber of Secrets, it also seems way less likely that the diary ever makes it into the school, which is normally how Dumbledore discovers that Voldemort is using Horcruxes at all. Which even if Dumbledore is able to just theory it together, the diary is probably the hardest one to track down. But speaking of Horcruxes, as far as Voldemort knows, at that point he would only have a six part soul rather than his desired seven. So while normally his first order of business after he gets his body back is to try and recover the prophecy, I think his first order of business this time would be to create the seventh Horcrux. And my question for you guys is, what do you think it would be? But that is where I'm going to leave you guys today. Turns out Peter faking his own death and going to live with the Weasleys was a pretty big plot point. And now Voldemort is back after just year one. The other big concern is that Voldemort is normally reserving that seventh Horcrux death for Harry. So will he just try and kill him to do it? Well, maybe he somehow used the diary to accomplish that. So many questions left to explore, but let me know all your thoughts in the towel section down below. Guys, thanks so much for watching today's video. Don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe so you don't miss any future Harry Potter content from us. If you'd like to see what would happen if Harry had been sorted into Slytherin instead of Gryffindor, we have an amazing eight part series dedicated to answering just that question. You can check that out by clicking right here. But otherwise, Ben, until next time, I will see you in another Life Brother.